Some people think we talk about the nation's leading morning news radio broadcaster a little bit too often on Media Watch, but Mike Hosking said something this week uh, about booster shots that I thought was worth addressing. So he arrived at his show on Monday fresh from getting his booster on Friday, and far from being happy to be better protected against COVID, he was full of regret. So here he is talking about his odds of being hospitalised with Omicron with two jabs compared to his odds of after a booster. So I've gone from 1.4 to 0.3. Yes, it's a drop. Yes, I'm better protected. I'm allegedly more, less likely to get it in the first place. That's somewhat debatable, apparently. But are those odds that I would go, I must go get a booster? No, not at all. So Mike, not happy with the service from Pfizer there, wants a refund. He went on to say uh, he wouldn't get a fourth shot down the track. And those statistics that he was quoting were from Michael Plank, the modeler. And I was pretty interested. I wanted to see what Michael Plank made of Hosking's speech. So I contacted him and he confirmed that, yeah, Mike Hosking had got the main numbers right there. Boosters do reduce the chances of hospitalization for people in that 55 to 59 age group from 1.4% to 0.3%. To be honest, that on its own seems like a pretty significant drop to me. Uh, It would seem like enough of a reason to get the shot. Obviously not for everyone, but uh, the speech from Mike Hosking really starts to get shaky when you apply the numbers he's quoting to the whole population. So this is how Michael Plank set it out. There are about 330,000 people in the 55 to 59 age group in New Zealand. Let's suppose half of them get exposed to Omicron, so 165,000. If all those people are double vaccinated, not boosted, that's 2,310 people needing to go to the hospital, whereas if they're all boosted, that reduces to 660. So that's pretty significant, and that's just that one four-year age group. Okay, so is it a case we're focusing on the individual risk obscures the risk to the collective. Yeah, and I think that's Plank's point there. Hosking also didn't mention that the booster reduces the risk of spreading the virus to others, but it often gets lost that hospitals are already pretty full and every COVID patient has to be treated alongside the usual influx of people with cancer and broken bones and clogged arteries and so on. And those are people whose treatment could be delayed or compromised in a widespread COVID outbreak. And we don't really talk about them enough. Instead, we have this kind of tendency from mostly able-bodied commentators to call for actions based on their own individual risk. But in a pandemic, a lot of our actions are not just to protect ourselves, they're there to protect each other, they're collective actions. Makes sense. So it's not like Mike Hosking's the first reporter or commentator who's been shaky, shall I say, on COVID policy (laughs) during the pandemic? I don't think he's even really the only one this week on his own station. So this is Heather... Duplessis Allen putting a question to Australian infectious diseases expert Peter Collignon about vaccine mandates on Monday. Let's just get this simply, Peter. At 94% double jabbed in this country in New Zealand, no justification for having mandates. So that's just Heather Duplessis Allen. Uh, Peter Collignon did resist that effort to put words in his mouth. He had a bit more of a nuanced take on the matter, but it's worth noting that Duplessis Allen there was kind of echoing statements from Axe David Seymour, who's called for an end to vaccine mandates on the basis that he believes vaccines aren't protecting people from Omicron. And interestingly, these claims have been fact-checked by Jamie Morden, who's a reporter at uh, these news talk commentators, NZ, Me, Stablemate, The Herald, and he interviewed several specialists who basically told him 
the efforts to get more people vaccinated through mandates are worthwhile for the reasons Michael Plank outlined. Boosters reduce your chance of getting infected with Omicron and they stop hospitals being overwhelmed. But a more nuanced debate than whether you should get your booster, which is incredibly clear cut and silly to even say don't get it. And Morden's story actually makes that pretty clear. But I thought there was a really interesting quote in that story that I wanted to highlight. And it came from University of Auckland vaccinologist, Associate Professor Helen Petusis Harris. And she said, it's very easy for armchair epidemiologists to do some back of the envelope calculations. We all do it. However, you can't make policy on it. And calculating vaccine effectiveness properly is actually rather complicated and requires a lot more data than you can get from any website. And I just thought that's really the nub of the problem, isn't it? That we have commentators weighing in every day on things above, if not their pay grade, then at least their level of qualification. And as Petusis Harris says, I mean, measuring vaccine efficacy, this stuff is hard even for qualified epidemiologists, let alone talkback radio hosts, or for that matter, RNZ media critics. So, I mean, covering the pandemic isn't just a sort of test of journalistic now or your commentating skills, but it's of numeracy and interpreting 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 data. And I think a lot of our commentators are failing that test. Well, I'm sure the response that they'd give you, Hayden, is that you want to restrict free speech or you want people to stop criticising the government. Yeah, I, I reject that. I, well, as Jacinda Ardern said, I refute that allegation. Um, it's more that I think what commentators say on the pandemic deserves care, mostly because, for better or worse, they're who a lot of people trust for their information. I mean, Mike Hosking telling 500,000 people that boosters aren't worthwhile for people his age is consequential. And it was also consequential when in 2020 he told his listeners that 99.2% of the people who died of COVID were dying anyway of other causes. That wasn't correct. It got censured by the media council. These aren't just reckons on transport funding or a minister's poor performance. They're just literally a matter of life and death. And it's really important to get them right, not for any politician's sake, but for the audiences. And I, I mean, but don't take my word for it. Uh, listen to Hosking's boss, NZME Chief Executive Michael Boggs. And he released a press release today announcing the company's full financial results for 2021. And he says in it that he's proud of the company's 90% project and roll up your sleeves, NZ. And he goes on to note that, quote, we recognise the responsibility that comes with acting as a voice of record for New Zealand. And we continue to use our platforms to make a positive impact for our community. That pride in their vaccine outreach <laughs> is kind of hard to square with his most well-known broadcaster telling half a million people he didn't much see the point in getting a booster a couple of days earlier. So I guess recognising responsibility as a voice of record arguably means handling commentary on the pandemic with precision. Or if that's not possible, then maybe ceding the floor to people with actual expertise. I like the emphasis that you put on that quote. We recognise the responsibility that comes with acting as a voice of record. <laughs> but, yeah. with, but whether it's fact or it's fact mixed with fiction, it is working for them because those financial results that Michael Boggs was talking about weren't insubstantial. Yeah, somehow despite this type of stinging criticism from Media Watch and RFP, <laughs> the results were extremely strong for NZME. So operating revenue has gone from up 5% to $349.2 million. After tax profit is at $34.4 million, and that's a rise too. And that's reflected in the company's share prices, as business desk's Patrick Smalley told Heather Duplessy-Allen. Uh, NZME, what do you reckon? Well, again, uh, shares up more than a third in the last year. I mean, 
NZ Me looked like a basket case two years ago. The, the share price was so low that people started to talk about breakup. Uh, and, but now the company has uh, paid off all its debt. It's sold a few assets that didn't have to do with content. It's bought a few things like Business Desk, which are to do with content. Uh, and I think the market's watching interest with interest. So uh, that's Patrick Smelly, who I will note is the founder of Business Desk, which he uh, touted there as a pretty savvy pickup for NZME. But he is right. It was a savvy pickup, and it has been a remarkable turnaround for NZME, which was slumping to sort of pretty low share prices just two years ago. He didn't mention uh, the government's investment in journalism, Hayden, including NZME. So how much of a factor is that in that turnaround financially? Yeah, so he was talking about some of the structural factors behind the business's success, and those are real, you know, the continued strength of radio, the growth of its digital subscriptions, which is pretty strong, I think up to 191,000, counting the Herald uh, and Herald Online subscriptions now. But it should be noted that NZME did take $10 million from the wage subsidy scheme in 2020, and I think it spent $8 million on redundancies that same year, and it made a profit of $14 million. So that was really the start of this pretty remarkable turnaround. It also received um, about $3 million in the latest funding announcement from the $55 million public interest journalism fund. So these cash injections, you have to say, have been at least some, they're not the biggest thing, but they're some buttress against the cold, unmerciful hand of the market. On, on more joyful matters, there was a birthday this week. Takarare turned 40. They got a lot of birthday coverage yesterday. Oh, yeah, it's been uh, wall-to-wall to cut it Well, no, I mean, it's been, yeah, it has been a lot of birthday coverage. I wanted to highlight a little bit of it. Uh, we had uh, Derek Fox, the show's first presenter, speaking to Julian Wilcox uh, on his new RNZ show, Mapuna, and this is what one of the things he had to say there. And I think the idea was that I was simply to uh, grab hold of some uh, of the Pākehā news and translated it into Māori and broadcast it live down the camera. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's news in Māori. That's not Māori news. So we had a little argument about that. What a great quote. Absolutely. It looks like Derek Fox won that argument. Just to be clear, he was talking about the first Takarati there. And I'm pretty glad that he won that argument because Takarati has definitely been Māori news rather than news in Māori for the last 40 years. He he kind of went on to talk about some of the difficulties he had, he had back then, which sounded nightmarish, to be honest. He, he described ringing up a friend in Christchurch, asking him to film some things on a film camera and then editing sound clips from that footage, from audio the friend was playing to him over the phone. Uh, it seemed, I think that Technology has moved on a little bit now, but um, Derek Fox wasn't the only former Takarade person, uh, reporter, presenter uh, in the media this week. We also had uh, Hinarangi Goodman, who went into the breakfast studio with the current Takarade presenter, Scotty Morrison, uh, for what turned out to be quite an emotional chat. And it started out like this uh, with uh, breakfast presenter, Jenny May Coffin. No, my haramai, ki parakwehi. I just started to get quite emotional, and this is one of those things that happens to me. Um, and this obviously isn't about me, but just the fact that I have you both sitting here, and I look at that and those clips that we played, and I go, that's the reason I'm here. That's the reason that I'm able to sit here is because of the path that both of you um, have laid out for us as Māori broadcasters. Yeah, so what a legacy. And that led to a discussion of both the past, uh, Goodman's past, like 
stuff like covering Dame Fenner Cooper and, and her hopes for the future. And this is what she had to say about that. There's another 40 years or even more to come. And I'd like to see it grow. I'd like to see it keep going. I'd like to see it uh, more and more of our young people, Scotty. Mm. Um, I'm glad you said mokopuna, because I thought you were referring to him as being one of the young ones. <laughs> yeah, that last wish from Hinorangi Goodman, I think, is at least kind of in the process of coming true, at least to a much greater extent than it has in the past. We do have the Public Interest Journalism Fund investing heavily in training Māori journalists and creating dedicated news for Māori. Uh, Mapuna, which we played earlier, is focusing on Māori stories on RNZ. Uh, we have lots of up-and-coming Māori broadcasters. I, I think this week as well we had the announcement from News Hub that Orini uh, Kaipara has a new role as co-host on News Hub Nation. And you probably remember this, but Kaipara made uh, international headlines over Christmas when she became the first woman with the Mokokowai uh, to front the 6pm news, I think. And so, I mean, the situation is by no means perfect. I mean, news is still pretty heavily weighted towards Pākehā interests and concerns. I, I just, I think, even just seven sharp earlier this week, it's a really little thing, but I saw it noted that they called kina a, a weird food or something. They said it's an unusual food. Who did? And I mean, uh, seven sharp. And right. I think that that's just a signal of just how maybe when news... Uh, producers picture their audience. Often they picture a Pākehā person almost unconsciously, and and I think that's still the case. But uh, it's a spiky uh, food. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. Uh, uh, but I don't think a lot of people in New Zealand would think it's a weird one, right? And I mean, the Iwi Radio Network has struggled for for years with underfunding, but there is progress. There's there's uh, I think there's stuff that's happening that's really exciting, and and so those people that made Dakarati, they would be able to look at the current landscape in New Zealand journalism and feel at least a degree of hope that promising Māori journalists are increasingly rising through the ranks. Very good. Have you had Kina? I actually don't remember the last time I had Kina. I think I had it when I was a child and I haven't eaten it recently. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever been able to break through the um, <laughs> the outside of it. I, I've never, no, I've never tasted it, but I've seen other people eating it. Well, I think I think we should. I think we should. 